Hey everyone, this is Craig, and before we get started with this week's episode of the Teaching Pastor Podcast, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of you who have been listening, downloading, subscribing to the podcast. Uh, We have just crested 2,600 downloads, and for a project that um, I thought, hey, I'd get 10 of these episodes out, and we just see how it went— We're 25 episodes in, and it has been a real joy having these conversations and recording them and bringing you all along as a fly on the wall for them. So um, thank you so much for downloading this, for sharing it with those who you think can benefit from it. Um, If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at theteachingpastor at gmail.com. But with no further ado... Here is this week's episode of the Teaching Pastor Podcast. Is the office a productive place? What do you do when you're part of a church plant and you have no office? Getting your Jan Sport backpack loaded as your go bag for mobile sermon prep. Analog or digital? What are the pros and cons of being an early adopter? Waking up one morning and realizing... I think I found my voice. Creating routine to maximize your creative decisions. And are you a pastor who might say, it's anyone guess what's going to come out of my mouth this Sunday morning? In this episode of The Teaching Pastor, we have a conversation with pastor and church planter, John Austin Helm. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Teaching Pastor Podcast. This is Craig Hill, and I'm here at the Fuller... Theological Seminary Regional Campus in Irvine, California, and I'm here with Austin Helm. How are you today, Austin? Uh, so good to be back at my grad school alma mater. Yeah, you are an alum of the proud uh, institution of Fuller. I am an alum of Fuller Seminary. Yeah, and where what de- what degree did you do here? Like it's like you doing time, you know. I d- I was I was there from here, you know. That's right. What degree did you do? Yeah, I got my master's of arts in theology, so my okay. MAT uh, with a general emphasis. Okay, nice. Yeah, general. General. It's always a sexy word. It's general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I I came to seminary. I didn't have any previous theological training. Uh, my bachelor's degree was in communications, um, so I really didn't know the difference between systematic theology. Oh biblical studies, et cetera, on down the line. And yeah. so even coming to seminary, I was still just getting my feet wet in the discipline at large. And so I opted for the the general emphasis. Yeah. Well, let's get, let me, let's circle back around in just a second, but a um, little bit about you, Austin, you are out of Oklahoma. The great state of Oklahoma. The great state of Oklahoma. Yeah, that's Tulsa? Right. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. And so how did you find your way out here to our little piece of paradise here in Southern California. Yeah. You know, it was Fuller Seminary. That was, that was the reason for coming out. My folks had raised me in a Presbyterian church growing up and most of our pastors either A, had their master's degree from Fuller Seminary Mm -hmm. or B, when they would send somebody out, uh, they would send them to Fuller Seminary. Okay. Now I wasn't sent out by my Presbyterian church, um, ended up uh, going to Oral Roberts University and that's a probably a, a different part of the That's conversation. That's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> but ended up coming out to Fuller Seminary. Yeah. The weather was great. It had a great reputation as mm-hmm. a school. Um, and being from Oklahoma, you have a bit of that that story built into you, which is 
move west, young man. Okay, right? okay. It's time to go west. Did you and come so in a covered wagon? Or I, I came in a covered a wagon. It, I, you know, it felt like I came in a covered wagon <laughs> if my covered wagon was nothing but a backpack on my shoulders. Wow. So Awesome, yeah. awesome. So, And now you are a, I mean, I know you as a church planter, church consultant, also a pastor. Yes, sir. Yeah, so how... How did that, what are you doing now, I guess, is the question. Yeah, so now I'm doing a couple of different things. Um, one, I'm helping out with a couple of different church plants in the area. Uh, some of the church plants I'm a little bit less involved with, uh, managing a couple of projects for them. Some of them have been moving locations or moving service times. Uh, another church plant I'm a little more hands-on with. I'm teaching there once or twice a month, helping out with some of their um, back-end systems and processes, mm -hmm. um, as well as doing some copywriting for some pastors outside of the area. They're okay. putting on workshops and seminars and doing some copywriting for them. Um, as well as I'm, a, I'm actually a chaplain in the marketplace as of recently. So um, essentially companies will come up and say, hey, we need a spiritual presence in our office and I'm the CEO, I'm not quite the person for that necessarily. Really? Huh. Um, so can you come in and touch base with our employees, uh, give them care, see how they're doing? And so that's one great way for me to have, you know, one foot in the church, being a church planter and consultant, et cetera, but also just firmly one foot in the marketplace. Huh, a marketplace chaplain. A marketplace chaplain, yes, sir. Well, that is, I mean, honestly, that's the first time I've heard of that. That's a fantastic connection. Uh, it's Sounds awesome. like with the issues of like organizational health and just mm -hmm. uh, organizational culture, that there maybe is an opening of a niche there or? Yeah, there, there's certainly um, folks in the marketplace um, that are looking for care, looking for guidance, ultimately looking for Jesus. Uh, they don't quite know they're looking for Jesus, um, but it's the kind of folks that wouldn't outright even shadow the door of a church. Huh. Uh, for one reason or another, they've decided uh, the church isn't the place uh, for them, whether it's for healing or for guidance, for counseling or for you name it. Um, but there's something about having a chaplain in the workplace Yeah, um, that actually you get to build a relationship with these folks slowly and steadily. And for a lot of these employees, there comes a moment in which they say, you know, this Jesus thing that I see in you and this Jesus thing I've been hearing about, I think I want to take that, that step of discipleship. Huh. And so, wow, it's a it's a really really cool. How opportunity. long have how long have you been doing that? I'm brand new to brand it. Brand new. I'm brand new to it. That is fantastic. Yep. Well, I I want to hear more. Maybe off off camera. I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear about the the sauce behind that. There that's pretty. Go. That's pretty awesome. Now, uh, you are here in Southern California, and we were talking sidecar donuts before. One hundred percent. Yeah. Now, that's one of my favorite Southern California. Um, treats as a little sidecar donuts yeah what have been some of the your favorite i mean your favorite places spots things as yeah. an oklahoma transplant out here oh as an oklahoma transplant the number one thing that comes to my mind is in and out okay you know, in and out we, yeah. we grew up in oklahoma only hearing uh folklore and myths and the the founding myth yeah tall, tall tales about this wonderful burger right. place called in and out uh so one of my favorite places is just <laughs> going to in and out protein style four by four chopped chilies the whole deal wow well that's yeah. that's a pretty good order i it's mean that's a, it's a good order that's a pretty sizable order. you're a pretty sizable guy six six yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sizable <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of food i need to put so, down to keep this machine keep it running oiled and running that's yeah. right all right all right so you have been teaching um i guess after you're um trained up in a church mm -hmm. but also seminary 
I know you spent some time working at EV Free Fullerton. Yes, sir. Um, what was your teaching load like, like kind of post-seminary? What was the, when you were teaching the most, what was the the most teaching you were doing kind of on a monthly, yearly basis? Oh, wow. When I was teaching at most, I was teaching probably 48 weekends out of the year at EV Free Fullerton. Okay. Um, which at the time, uh, Mike Erie was the senior pastor there. Um, David Fletcher was the executive pastor there. And um, Mike would say this often, and even to this day, I just think so fondly of those days and Mike's leadership um, in that season. And one of the things he mentioned, and he would say it often, was one of the best gifts that I can give you um, is not coaching or training, although I'll help in those areas, but in reps. Yeah. There's just something you get from doing it week in and week out when you feel like doing it yeah. and when you don't feel like doing it. Um, that It just trains you as a teacher and as a communicator in a way that no homiletics course or right. once a month service review will do. Um, and so at the peak of my teaching consistency, I was yeah. doing probably 48 of the weekends a year. Wow. And that was the Sunday night service or were you in the main the main service on Sunday mornings as yeah. well? Yeah. So in that season, EV Free had three venues. One was they had their their larger venue, which I think sat between three and 4,000 folks. That's not quite right. I think it's more like 2,000. Okay. Um, but that was their contemporary service. Then they had a smaller room that would seat about 500 folks. And in the mornings, that was their classic service. And they would do choir, orchestra, hymns. And in the evening, it became an open service, but it attracted more young adults. And so probably three of the four weekends, I'd be teaching the classic service okay. in the mornings and the 5 p.m. kind of young adults-ish service in the evening. And then maybe once a month, I would teach in the morning for the contemporary service in the larger venue, plus that Sunday evening, okay. 5 p.m. So on any given Sunday, I'm teaching three to four um, services per Sunday. Okay. 48 weekends out of the year. Yeah. But that was at the peak. I'm not. Yeah, that's a, you know. I, yeah, that's a, and that's a pretty, that's a pretty sizable load. Was there a teaching, was there a team approach to that? Like, or were you like, Hey, here's your passage. Good on you. Go out and do it. Or did you have some outline you were sharing or was, how did that work? Yeah, it was a, a mix of both. So each Tuesday, um, really Mike was in charge of the teaching calendar and the, the teaching trajectory, man, this is the passage that we're in. Yeah. Um, and so each Tuesday we'd get together, we'd review the previous weekend's teaching. Um, and then we'd, we'd pull up the scripture for that week. Hey, what do we see? What do we notice? Um, what have you guys read about this? What have you heard? And we would just whiteboard, you know, for an hour and mm. you're hearing all, we had about a four to five person teaching team. And is that on Mondays? This is on Tuesdays. Tuesdays. And so you're hearing all kinds of perspectives from people and saying, well, I saw this in this book and. As someone who's going to be teaching that weekend, you're writing down different books and articles, even websites that folks are mentioning. Um, and then after that Tuesday, um, you kind of knew where you were going to take off from. In other words, the primary scripture. And you really kind of knew the main point that everyone was going to land on. But the outline in the middle was 100% up to okay. the person that was teaching. So there's a pretty good degree of autonomy to get from passage to message 
for you. There, there was a there was a great deal of autonomy. I mean, we live in Southern California, and one of the jokes is, "Oh, how'd you get here? Oh, I took the the five to the fifty-five to the ninety-one. Oh, that's funny. I took the five to the fifty-five to the twenty-two, etc." Exactly. It felt a bit like driving from Laguna Beach to Fullerton. It's there were several yeah. ways you could get there. That's right. One thirty-three, five, fifty-seven. We could name five or six. Yeah, we could. Uh, the important thing was that you left the beach in Laguna and that you landed in Fullerton. Right. That was the important part. <laughs> so oh, that's it's so good. I, I mean, it's I think the idea there, I think there's a lot of people out there that are working with team yeah. or or want to develop team. Yeah. And there are so many different ways of doing team. We've talked about like the Rock Harbor team approach. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the Calvary Church team approach on this podcast um, but it is interesting to hear different approaches to this. I just we just did one with Eric Tonis, and he said, "Look, in our we we just invite as we begin a new a new project, a new series, every person in the church that has some teaching chops, mm-hmm. we will bring them in for a sermon yeah. powwow, a preaching yeah. powwow, I think is what they call yeah. it. And um, so, like four hours at a shot, and just." That's not a weekly meeting, sure, but that would be at the beginning of a series. Yep. So, did you guys have uh, outside of the weekly meeting? Did you have kind of a larger? We're going in this direction, or was that coming from your senior pastor? No, that was the direction was certainly coming from the senior pastor. Um, to the best of my knowledge, um, we didn't have any kind of larger bulk, you know, three or four hour teaching team meetings. It was yep. just it was the weekly, you know hour to two hour meeting Uh, typically once a quarter we'd have just a larger teaching team and communications team and ministry teams come together okay and the senior pastor would cast vision for yeah hey this is the season we're going into this is kind of the general feel and the flavor of it Mm -hmm. this is where we're moving as a church Um, and so we'd get into that maybe once a quarter but it was it was more focused on larger vision and less on the actual teaching discipline got it got it and now that because you're not there now correct um how well i guess let's go back because i I, the question i have is um once you leave that team meeting Mm -hmm. uh how are you getting there i mean how are you doing your study how are you looking at the text how do you look at the text do you are you are you an electronic screen guy? Are you a paper Bible guy? Wow, great um, how are you engaging with the text of Scripture? Because you strike—I said this earlier—you strike me as an early adopter, kind of like sure. e-books, Kindle, right. something like that. Like, how are you looking at the text of Scripture? Yes, yeah, um, primarily on paper okay. is, is the primary way that I look at the text. I would like to think of myself as an early adopter, and I just know in every fiber of my being that's just not true. I'm, I'm not an early adopter by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, I've always just preferred having the Bible in paper. And my first few readings through it, um, being with the Bible in a pen, circling words that I think, you know, I think I want to go back and I want to look that up, um, underlining um, a part of a verse that says, man, I think this might be the landing point. Um, you know, when I was teaching, um, even now when I teach, I'll have a paperback Bible. Um, and it's really the only thing that I walk up with is is just my Bible, and I've got um, little you know Roman numerals in it, or I've got underlines, or I've got circles. And for me, those are all they're all spaces that I want to huh. say, hey, I've wrestled with this throughout yeah. the week, and I want to just talk about some of these various points. Yeah. Are you then 
no notes, but just your Bible and notes in the Bible kind of yeah. in that way? So no notes going up to teach and no real notes in the Bible okay. minus, you know, circles, underlines, one, two, three. Um, so nothing actually written out, just kind of what I've read and studied throughout the week is hopefully kind of lodged and gridded into my okay. my brain. And then as I'm, I'm teaching, I'm looking at the text and unpacking it for folks. Are you at any point kind of writing that out in outline form or scripting it or manuscripting it? Or is this just all, I'm going to load it up and then I'm going to get up there and someone's going to put a pin in me and it's just going to come exploding out. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's a, that's a great question. It's um, really for me in a good week, I will manuscript it three or four times. Okay. Uh, but really that's just a stream of consciousness okay. for me. All four manuscripts are completely different. Um, and they may even have different landing points or different spots that I stay in a little bit longer. And really, that's just me wrestling with the text and okay. getting the text into me. Yeah. I have a bit of a, uh, a charismatic, maybe even Pentecostal background, um, which is the Oral yeah. Roberts University. I was going to say Presbyterian to Oral Roberts to Fuller to Fuller to Evie Free Fullerton. To Evie Free Fullerton. I mean, that's like the Frankenstein of, of theological education and training. 100 percent. It, it, it is the Frankenstein. You know, I'll tell folks um, I've I've dipped my toe in tons of different waters. And as a result, it's really just made me a bit ecumenical um, huh. in the sense of, man, I love the local church at large. So whether it's um, charismatic and Pentecostal, uh, whether it's Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, you kind of name it. Um, I love the local church huh. and I think it's the hope of the world. Um, and so for me, because of all those experiences, it's yeah. just kind of made me love the broader family. Yeah. So then now, when, and that affects your preaching by how you're taking those notes and you're thinking, okay, do you know what's going to come out before you step up? I mean, that's, it's, it's, fa I think it's fascinating. Um, I think in a larger church when you're like, hey, we've got 30 minutes and we've got to be on time and we've got to hit our marks or whatever it yeah, is. That's right. Um, how does that all fit together? Yeah, you know, the good news for at least the churches that I've been a part of teaching so far is we don't hand them an outline ahead of time. You know, there's some phenomenal communicators that um, they're so dialed into what they're going to say. You can walk in as a church member and you can get the outline with a fill in the blank and you're kind right. of waiting for the communicator to put that point forward and you can, you know, fill in the blank. Right. The churches I've taught at, we don't really have that. And so it's anybody's guess as well as mine as to what actually is going to end up coming out of my okay. mouth. Okay. Um, but there is a sense of because of my Oral Roberts University days and a bit of that charismatic Pentecostal flair that man, I've, Ideally, throughout the week, I've been doing my, my exegetical work on the text. I've been studying it. Um, I've been wrestling with it. I have three or four different ways that I could go with it. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a sense about, even as a pastor, um, you're not exempt from just worshiping God with the community of faith that you're a part of. And so you spend that first 15, 20 minutes actually just worshiping with God's people. And then you've got a few different routes that you can go. And then you get up there and you know what your primary passage is going to be. And you start to open it. And 
ideally there's just a, a presence in the room and there's a feel and as you're speaking you may or may not be getting feedback from the audience whether it's verbal or nonverbal, and right. you just kind of begin to move forward and you know you got about 30 minutes to do it and so <laughs> you know that that helps you navigate the trail a little bit better too <laughs> uh, totally no it's i think that everybody has a little bit of a different way that they get when they step into the pulpit how you adjust the track. This is going to date me, but on VCR machines, like sure. you have to adjust the tracking sometimes totally. and, you know, cause it's not coming in right. So yep. you adjust the trackings, but at the same time, you're, you're actually blazing a new trail. You're, you are, you might go a route you hadn't gone in prep. That, yeah. There's a possibility that that will happen. Wow. hundred percent. Now, are you, what are you doing for, when you are working exegetically, interpretively, when you're thinking about what this is going to look like, are you writing stuff down? Um, are you using a computer? Are you using a notebook? Yeah, I'm, I'm typically using a computer to write out all my notes. Um, one of the first steps that I'll take is I'll just, as I'm reading through my paperback version, I'm, I'm circling words that I want to go back and do a word study on. Uh, oftentimes, via a word study, all kinds of fresh meaning yeah. comes popping out of the text at right. us. Turns out um, that knowing original languages actually deepens. It's so helpful. It might be helpful. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. That's right. And so I'll end up doing um, quite a few word studies um, in the passage. Um, and then as I've, I'm kind of wrestling with the passage as I see it, um, sometimes the word studies and sometimes not, they lead me to, to broader... Um, references to the passage. You know, if you're doing a passage out of Genesis, there's a chance that either Jesus or Paul or somewhere along the way, they also reference this. And so you kind of begin, you kind of start small with just kind of the word studies and what do I feel like this passage or text is saying? And then I want to zoom out and say, what's the broader scripture saying here? And how are other authors referencing this passage or this book? Um, and so there's a sense for me that I, that's where I start. I start real small and finite, and then yeah. I just kind of begin to zoom out. Okay. And what uh, do you have? I know you were saying some of your books are boxed up right now, but do you yeah. have resources that are kind of your tried and true, you're constantly going back for those word study, that word study stuff, or other just things that you constantly find yourself in or using. Do you use Bible software or do you like your paper, paper resources? You know what? I love my paper resources. Okay. So any kind of, uh, what's that? What's that? They're boxed up right now. It's the large blue. Oh, the TDNT, the, the Theological TDNT, Dictionary yeah. of the New Testament. Oh, I, yeah. I love the TDNT. Like, yeah. that's like, that's like <laughs> one of my first things I go to right. when I initially start in a text. Right. And then I've got a few commentary series, you know, the New International Commentary on or right. the NIV application. And some commentaries are hit and miss, um, as you know. Yeah. But with those books uh, being boxed up right now, um, having Logos has been deeply, deeply helpful. Yeah. I mean, Logos has a lot of those tools plus more um, really just built into it. Yeah. Um, so as much as I can go to the paperback version, I like that better. Yeah. Because um, I, I just don't like the clicking and the scrolling. And I kind of feel like I'm having to, you know, yeah. Look at it anyway. Um, so yeah, those are kind of my resources, those general commentaries. Okay. And then some of those, those TD and okay. resources. I do like, I, we were joking earlier about, you know, what <laughs> being an early adopter and yep. using, um, apps and electronic resources. And, um, I had kind of pegged you as an early adopter, oh. but it turns out that you're kind of an analog guy. I'm you an like, analog guy. You like the books. I like the books. I like it because 
I remember where things are by where they're at on a page. Sure. Rather than, but when you start scrolling through, uh, there is no page. It goes right out the window. It just, it's, it, it just kind of, there's no beginning and end to this. That's right. I like the page. And it is interesting. It, you think about what that's going to do to our brains, like a new generation who they're not going to remember things by where it's at on a page. Sure. They're going to remember things differently because that's how the human brain adapts to mm -hmm. these things. We just happen to grow up in an age where there were pages. Yes. And so we remember visually where it's at on a page. People will adjust. It's not the end of the world. That's right. But it, but we're, we're straddling an age. That's right. But my, my brain was, was pretty, in the most formative times of my brain, cementing how it was going to learn, it was paper for me. Yes. It was analog. And so for the next generation, they're going to say, what, what are books, right? Yeah. I, I know about the ebook and scrolling <laughs> and text. Um, so yeah, but so for me, the, the primary mode is uh, just that good old hardback book. Yeah. Now, where are you doing your best work of prep like just the the human austin like you are a mug guy because we've been to we've been to starbucks a number of times yeah, and right. you will not drink out of a paper cup that's right you always have a mug always a mug um so are you coffee shop office like where are where is your sweet spot and what do you need like is it are tea coffee like what's your thing yeah it's um it's coffee in the morning first things first and then from there on out for the most part unless it's a peculiar kind of day, it's just green tea for okay. the rest of the day. Um, you know what, for me, one of the things I've noticed, even about the location that I prepare in or the mode that I prepare in, um, I've just always had a need to keep things fresh. Mm -hmm. um, so there were seasons when, you know, it was this Starbucks in this corner at this table facing this direction. That was my, that was my sweet spot. And that was probably when you lived in Laguna because you had that Starbucks right there, that nice table up top, looked out on the ocean. That's a hard spot to that's a hard spot to beat. It's a hard spot to beat. But even the even the hard spots to beat can become stale at some point. Yeah. And you just need new environment. You need a, a new space. And so I've found myself probably every three to four months huh. needing to hop locations. Um, just to kind of get into a new environment. Um, there's uh, more than not, though. I do like being out in public. Okay. Um, at a coffee shop, uh, not at a park. Um, I would never go to a park to prepare because there's no outlet in a park. <laughs> I need to write on my computer. <laughs> but it, it, it's primarily uh, coffee shops okay. that I'll go to and from. And a part of that is because I like to... Um, I like to look at people in the marketplace okay. as I'm preparing. Okay. Um, I'm a bit of a people watcher, kind of always have been. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, as I'm wrestling with the text and I see, you know, a mom come in with her kids that are crying and she's trying to wrangle them together. Or I see a guy come in in his business suit next to another guy in a business suit that are talking about the stock market. There's just something about seeing people kind of in generic marketplace kind of settings that just reminds you to to keep whatever you're talking about rooted in the soil of people's lives. Yeah. To not get too heady. You know, if I'm in a library and I'm surrounded by these amazing works of theology, I mean, my brain can so quickly, because I love the academy, uh, it can just get so lofty and yeah. so ivory tower. And before you know it, I'm giving a talk to folks that work as financial planners or teachers or doctors or even just students, and they're just saying, Number one, I don't know what you're talking about. 
And number two, this doesn't apply yeah. to my life at all. Can we go back and sing again? <laughs> it's like something that I can understand. Wait, wait. No, I've got, I've got 15 more minutes. <laughs> I've got 15 more minutes. Um, and so for me, there's, there's just been something about, I, I want to see people in the everyday uh, motion of life. What, what does this mean for that mom, those business guys? That's right. Wow. That's, and that's, that's great. There's also an, an interesting energy in a mm-hmm. coffee shop, you know, or, or in public. Mm-hmm. It's the, the anonymity of the crowd mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And I, there is definitely um, energy that can come off that. It is interesting because I've talked with lots of people, obviously, on the mm-hmm. podcast. And that question about some people would say, I could never do it. I'm too ADD. I, I would get too distracted. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about where is the spot where you do your best work. And one of the answers mm-hmm. is there is no one spot. It's all over the place That's and right. it's got to change up. Yeah, it's got to change up for when me. You, yeah. yeah, when you did have an office, was was the office a good spot at times? Oh, man. Yeah, listen, um, I'll just put it this way. It was hard to find me in my office Okay. when I had an office. Okay. I was always, um, if I was preparing for a talk, I'm out preparing in the public space. If I'm meeting with somebody, I'm out in the public space. If I just need to clear my head and think, I'm out in the public space. Oh. The office for me, and, and I think a big part of this actually is a, a large part of my my early days of being in ministry, if you will. Even as a um, an intern in high school, I was a part of church plants. And church plants are just by nature a little more rogue, um, a little more gorilla, a little more, we don't really have offices. No office space. So Starbucks right. is my office space. And right. so I've been a part of... Um, at this point, at least four church plants. And so there's been a, a part of it for me was um, I didn't grow up in a culture where office meetings were a part of the rhythm of ministry. Oh. It was always if you're meeting with a pastor or if you're having a meeting, you're going to Chinese Kitchen in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're all eating Chinese food together, or you're going to Nordagio's and you're having a coffee together. This is before Starbucks came to Tulsa. Got it. Um, but there was just a sense of it hasn't been a part of my rhythm huh. to be an in-office person. And so uh, people that either wanted to meet with me or connect, I just say, yeah, come on down to Starbucks. Bray and Imperial. Yeah. I'm here. Or State College in Chapman. Yeah. I'm here. That's an interesting observation just about the, the culture of church. Mm-hmm. And if you are a church planter, you're not going to have a conference room. Sure. With a big table and comfy chairs and a mm-hmm. board room kind mm-hmm. of a thing. You might not even have an office. You are just, you are mobile. Yep. So what, if you are mobile, mm-hmm. um, what does the Austin Helm go bag look like? Like wow. what is in that sucker? Yeah. And what is it? I mean, are you particular about bags? Do you um, like certain things? Like what is in your go bag when you're going out to do your work? Yeah, I'll tell you what's in the go bag right now. The go bag is a Jansport backpack. Um, navy blue, just classic Jansport, single zipper on top. One small, small on zipper. On the side. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not deluxe. It's not large. It's not multifaceted. But um, it's in. It's in and hip right now. I think it might be. I think it is. I think it might be. Yeah. I wouldn't be the one to ask because I do plenty of things that are unhip. That's right. Um, so I've got the Jansport backpack, and I'm actually downgrading from a computer to an iPad. Okay. Um, I've just found that as much as the computer is great, it is so overkill and so overboard for what I actually need. Yeah, I do love the Chromebooks, except if you don't have Wi-Fi, a Chromebook is absolutely useless. Useless. Right. Um, yeah, I love the Google Docs. I love all that yeah. stuff with Google, but if I don't have Wi-Fi, 
I'm not working. You're toast. My sermon is invisible. <laughs> That's right. It's just all in your head. That's right. 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 So for me, it's the Jansport backpack. It's the iPad with a little keyboard that kind of doubles yeah. as a case. Yeah. Um, and just one or two books that I'm kind of working through mm-hmm. in that season. Do you um, do you put like gum, snacks? I mean, what's? I've got, you, I've got, I've got, I'm a, I've got gum in the car. That's an yeah. issue though because it, it you put melts. your four by four protein style in there. <laughs> I wish. You know, I'm actually, I, I'm, I'm not a huge gum person. Okay, yeah. Or a snack person, because I'm always going to Starbucks. I'm just drinking tea after yeah. tea after tea after tea. Yeah. I think the title of this episode is going to be Austin Helm. I'm not a big gum person. I'm not a big gum person. All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, but these are the kind of, like, I think that everybody, you know, if you could really pull the curtain back on everybody's prep, there's always something that gets people either unstuck or more comfortable or, yeah. it's got, you know, this is, the ancients called it their muse. They always had a muse or yeah. they... There was something, maybe it's green tea. Yeah. Maybe it's the public space, whatever it is, but I'm or the Jansport backpack. Yeah. That's those are always I think that those are the little the little pieces that not everybody knows, but um, it's always fun to find out yeah, a little that's bit right. about um, about that. All right. So you've you've downgraded, you've got your Bluetooth keyboard, you've got yeah. your iPad now, and um, and you're working through your text. Mm-hmm. Um, about how long does it take you to go from from passage to message these days? I mean, you've had I would imagine, and maybe you can say something about this, from the time you started those 42 weeks a year mm-hmm. to the end, did your prep time, did that affect your prep time? Like, did you, do you feel like you've gotten any better at this as, as you've gone along? You know what? When, when it comes to prep time, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think it's ever taken me less time to prepare. Now I've become more effective at being able to prepare on less time. Right. But still, if I, if I want to walk up there and feel comfortable, I just still feel like there's something to putting in the hours that are necessary for it. Yeah. And I was a communications major at Oral Roberts University. Um, and they'd say, uh, you know, for every one hour that you're teaching, you need to put in about one hour of, of prep into your talk. Um, so if you're teaching for 35 minutes, there might be, you know, technically 35 hours of prep time you're putting into that. Um, but for me, if I can spend about half of my week, about 20 hours preparing for, you know, a 35 minute talk, um, that's going to put me in a really, really good space to feel like, um, I I think I've got a good grip on the, the 360 degree view of the text. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just feel more comfortable going up with that. Yeah. What do you feel like you have gotten, if, if it, what have you gotten better at? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that I've gotten better at, and this might sound a little interesting, is um, not, <laughs> there's certainly an element in teaching to working on your talk. I mean, you've, Sunday's coming, right. and you got to have something to say. That's, um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of the golden rule. The golden rule. Um <laughs> Now, at the same time, uh, some communicators love coming to the text fresh and just having a blank canvas whiteboard. I could start, finish, and get there really kind of any way that I want to. And they'll think creatively through different ways to approach it or present it. Um, I think one of the things that I've gotten better at is working on the process of working on my talk. Hmm. 
if that makes any sense. So it, yeah, explain it, it, unpack that a little. Yeah. Bit. So in a sense of some of the best communicate, not some of the yeah, there are some great communicators out there that if you study their talk enough, you know how they're going to get through the text. You know, they start out with a small brief introduction about this is the author, this is the the grand scope of the text. We're going to pray. We're going to come out of that prayer. I'm going to go into about a 10-minute very funny story. That's going to act as a bridge into a little bit more exegetical work um, on a singular passage and then end on my main point. Like some people, man, you listen to them and that is their grid. That's the formula. That's the formula. Maybe that's the better word for it. I think I've gotten better over the years at honing a formula Hmm. that fits for my particular voice in a particular season. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was at EB Free, I had one formula that I'd really work off of. That way, when I'm sitting down with a text, even on day one, because you're, you're always only six days away from having to give a talk. Right. I could at least plug in some general information that just got the wheels turning. If I wouldn't have had that formula, I would, just, I would have felt so overwhelmed right. by all the various different ways I right. could have gone. Um, but recognizing that working for different churches and being a part of different ministry settings, each audience, in my context, each audience in each church really needs a different approach to the text. Yeah, The way that I would teach at EV Free really does need to be different from the way that I teach at a younger church plant full of younger, newer believers. And so I think I've gotten better over the years at being able to discern and decipher Mm. the audience. And for this season, what kind of a formula is going to get me in the rhythm of prep and delivery. And even them in a a rhythm of hearing. You know, how are we going to hear God's word this morning? And so I think that's one of the areas I've I've actually gotten better at. That's good. You know, it's interesting, the, the formula, I remember when I was in my youth group, youth working days, I would always use hook, book, look, took, like, mm-hmm. you know, as a formula, essentially. Yep. Hook, you know, something to hook the students, um, go to the, the text, the book, yep. look at it, exegetical work, interpretive work, and then took, what's the application, what do you, yep. what's the take home? Yep. Um, in seminary, it was, we, we used this book, Four Pages of a Sermon, and it was Trouble, Trouble, Grace, Grace. Trouble in the <laughs> sure. text, trouble in real life, well, real life, trouble today. Yeah. Grace in the text, grace today. Yeah. And that's how we were taught. Now, the interesting thing is, I'll come to a passage, and I'll look at the passage, and sometimes the passage will show a path forward. Mm-hmm. But if I'm stuck, I find myself like, all right, I'm just going to put this hook, book, look, took. There you go. Like, I'm just, like, a, a formula just, if I feel stuck, finding that formula and just plug in, mm-hmm. but usually only when I feel stuck. Otherwise, yeah. I feel like, ah, I'm just going to let it, I'm going to let it roll. Like, yeah. why not? Let's yeah, just see what right. happens. So do you, do you, do you have a, a go-to, like when you're stuck, like a formula that, that helps you in that sense? You know, I think I've got one. It wouldn't be as articulate as hook, book, look, took, oh, trouble, well, trouble, that, grace, you know, grace. Just, <laughs> no. Well, I, I, I hate formulas. Yeah. I feel like it is, I hate being contrived. I hate the form. I would hate it if my congregation knew exactly what I was going to say before I said mm. I feel like I would be, I don't know, I just don't like it. That's, that's interesting because I'm, a, I'm actually the exact opposite. Oh, that's awesome. Oh. In, in the sense of this. Uh, for the most part, um, my introduction is going to be very, very similar each time I take the, the platform. 
Um, and I, you know, I was with a, a church there for about a year, um, and they could almost, almost verbatim at the beginning, know what I was going to say in the first two to three minutes. Um, and there's something about that, uh, because I think what I'm saying there is actually meaningful. Hmm. Um, you know, the first two, three minutes of every talk I'm giving, I'm going to say, Hey, this is who we are and this is our mission and this is our vision. And if this is your first time here, this is what we're about. And if this is your 500th time here, man, this is what we're about. And we're about this because we mm -hmm. think Jesus has come to bring life and bring it abundantly. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the churches, they could, they were, they would kind of lip it back to me <laughs> as I'm saying it. Right. But you know, as Craig Rochelle would say, yeah, um, you're drilling it in. You're drilling it in. Right. Um, and when people start to get tired of what you're saying in the sense of vision and mission, mm -hmm. he would say, "You're just now starting to say it enough." Hmm. Um, another pastor once said, "My role is I am the CRO. I am the chief." reminding officer of this organization of what we're about. Hmm. And so for me, you know, the middle of the text is going to be the most, uh, the middle of a text, the middle of a talk is going to be the most, they don't know what's yeah. coming. Uh, but the beginning and end of that message to some degree, I kind of want them to know what's coming because man, this is the heartbeat of our church. Yeah. This is what we're about. And if I'm giving you a different heartbeat right. um, every single week, then you're going to say, I don't know. I don't know what our heartbeat is. Yeah. So for me, there's something about that repetition hmm. for me at the very beginning and at the very end okay. that I think kind of anchors a church in this is why we yeah. exist. Oh, that's great. That's good. You're winning me over. Uh, <laughs> when do you feel like, what were some of the markers along the way? Obviously you're at EV Free yeah. and you're under a pretty strong teaching pastor yeah. who is setting the direction yeah. for the church. Um, when do you feel like you found your voice, not only for your preaching voice, mm -hmm. um, but also the voice of, I know I want to lead this sort of an organizational culture, yeah. a church culture. Like, what were some of the milestones along the way for you to find that kind of voice or that kind of identity to know who you were as a teacher, pastor? Wow. You know, I think um, the answer to some of those questions is... It's a bit like, um, gosh, learning to read, right? You, there, there's no one moment in which I could say, oh, this is when I learned to read. It felt more like one day I woke up and I thought, oh, wow, I'm like reading pretty decent right now. And it's because of all of this hard work along the way. And it's yeah. more of a, less of a, you know, a moment or a hinge point and right. more of just a, a long journey of process. Right. And I would say for me... Um, that really happened to EV3 probably about a year and a half, two years in. Okay. You know, I had never been previous to EV3. I hadn't come close to teaching as much as I had taught um, at EV3. Yeah. Um, and so there was something about, again, just that, that year and a half of 48 weekends a year uh, that was such a gift that the leadership gave to me mm. to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, there was something about just being a year and a half in feeling like, especially at the 5 p.m. service, um, which the other services I would teach in, I was also actually responsible for the 5 p.m. as That a, was kind of your congregation. It's kind of my like mini congregation within yeah. the congregation. Um, when it really felt like, man, there was some leadership solidifying around that, and we were growing, and there was a life. Um, it felt like, man, I think we're starting to get somewhere. Mm right now. There was no talk that I ever went back and listened to. And I thought, got it. 
yeah, nailed it. That was it. But it's actually for me, I felt like I started to find my voice and the way that I wanted to lead when I saw what felt like life bursting forth in the congregation, yeah. which looked, you know, it looked from anything from more people were getting into life groups to people were meeting each other. And a year and a half later, they were standing in each other's weddings. Mm. And there's something about when you see life develop like that yeah. in a church, yeah. you begin to get the sense of, I feel like yeah. my voice, both from a teaching perspective and a leadership perspective is it's finding roots in people yeah. and it's developing people in a, a kind of way that's yeah. towards the way of Jesus. Yeah, I think the hard part about finding your voice is you oftentimes only recognize it after the fact. Sure. Like you wake up one morning or you're preparing for a sermon and you're like, Oh, I, I don't I don't say that. I don't say those sorts of things. Yeah. Like are I wouldn't put it that way. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I have a way that I put things. Yeah, you know, right. like and you only kind of realize that, oh gosh, I, I think I've I think I've done something here. <laughs> I think something's happened. That's right. But there is no a lot of times there are no moments. Sometimes there are. Sometimes there are those mm-hmm. great moments that people speak into your life. Yeah. And there are these milestones. But sometimes it's like you said, it's just the drip, 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 and all of a sudden you've got a stream and a river and it wants to flow and mm-hmm. here you are and now you have your own voice your own style mm-hmm. yeah that's right oh that's fantastic um when you think about um well you're a creative person austin oh i don't know about that well okay that's, that's very I mean, generous we, of you <laughs> <laughs> do you have any routines that you think of when you think of um being a creative person just um or is you're 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 trying to get into your creative process just a routine that you would go through? Um, yeah, you know, I think well, this may or may not apply, but for me, and again, thank you for the yeah, well, hey. being you know the generous comment and be being creative. There you go. I do want to reserve the bulk of my brain power um, and decision making and uh, processing for what I'm going to talk about. Which actually means that in every area of life, I'm very uncreative. Okay. You know, um, some people have pointed out that I have a uniform. Yeah, I, well, I t- that's the Steve Jobs thing, right? You remove, you wear the same thing every day, so you don't have to make that decision. Right. And let's just for every podcast listener, I am in no way putting myself on the same playing field as Steve Jobs. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. But there is something to, man, um, I do have a uniform that I tend to wear each and every day, slight variations. Um, I eat the same thing each morning for breakfast. I have the same morning routine. I have the same evening routine. There's parts of my life that I've really tried to put in a routine so that when I come to the text, I can exercise the bulk of what might be called creativity um, and decision-making. And so for me, a lot of times I'm trying to make, you know, the beginning of my day and the end of my day is as simple, seamless and straightforward as possible um, so that, you know, when I make it to the part where, okay, I'm actually wrestling with the text, I have as much brain power again as possible to think creatively about what's happening in the world of this text and I'm trying to pull from all kinds of things that I've read, that I've seen, that I've heard, that I've even thought about myself. Um, And so, yeah, you know, my life is actually a very routine (laughs) life, which I think in the process of that, because I'm not wild, my days don't differentiate wildly from day to day to day. It actually helps to be more creative in that day. In the day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was the last passage or series that you have been preaching on? Are you working through a series now? Um, what are you working on now? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I just finished a um, kind of a four-week mini-series spread out over um, about two or three months at a church I'm helping out with in Costa Mesa. Um, and it was John 10.10, 10, yeah. really based around, you know, for I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Mm-hmm. I really decided to end up spending about four weeks in that passage. And a big part of it was I was given that passage to teach at a different church out in... Um, where was it? Out in Yukaipa. Okay. And I'm teaching out of this passage. And I just, you know, as I came up on the Saturday beforehand, I just realized, oh, wow, I've, I have way too much. Too much. I've got too much I've in here. I've got four weeks in this one sermon. I've, I've got four weeks in this one sermon. So <laughs> thankfully, I was able to trim back a lot of it before Sunday. Right. Which is why Saturday night exists for every teaching pastor right. is to trim it back. Um, it's the come and, to Jesus moment. It's the, it's the come to Jesus moment, you know, because the, the issue is never having enough information. Right. The issue is always you have too much information. Yes. Um, and so after I gave that talk, I knew that I was going to be giving a, a four-week kind of mini-series at this church. And mm-hmm. I decided, you know what I really want to do? I think I do want to take it. And I want to go ahead and kind of block this passage out into four different weeks. Um, in which we're going to re- we're going to be in the same passage all four weeks, but each week we're going to have something different that we're we're talking. Was about. it all the Good Shepherd passage, or was it just that one verse? And you wanted to do four different things on life to the full. You know, it ended up being really the whole Good Shepherd passage, okay. um, with kind of that the culmination of that John ten ten okay. kind of being the the landing point to some degree for most of them, um, but just ended up unpacking a few interesting points you know jesus consisting in that passage says um you know the sheep know the shepherd's voice yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of this refrain he uses yeah. Yeah. we actually spent one entire week just talking about the audacious claim that god speaks mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's one of the the things that you know, oftentimes we either take for granted or we've read but that we don't actually believe yeah and jesus tends to say in that passage and in other passages, one of the defining marks of God is that God is a God that speaks. Yeah. And if we can learn to listen, we can actually follow Jesus on the pathway of discipleship. Right. And so we ended up taking just a grand narrative view from you know Genesis 1 all the way through John 10 and even what Paul says mm-hmm. about, you know, in the past, um, God spoke through uh, the writings and the prophets mm-hmm. and our ancestors, but in these last days... He has spoken the most clearly to us. We've heard God more clearly than we've ever heard him, and he has spoken through the very life of his son. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just took a really grand narrative. We do follow a God that speaks. And the good news of discipleship is we can learn to be a people that listen. Um, And so that was me just kind of pulling out a small piece of that John 10 10 and kind of speaking about that for a little bit. Oh, that's great. It's fantastic. I love it. You know, we're coming to the end of our time, but it's just, uh, so good to hear about your, your process, what you're doing. Um, if there is a place where people could hear a sermon from Austin Helm, where might they go? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, johnaustinhelm.com mm-hmm. okay. is one place. A we'll lot put, of my we'll sermons. We'll put that in the show notes, a link to it. Yeah, a, a lot of my sermons end up there. Uh, again, on Facebook, if you went to my John Austin Helm page, uh, you could find sermons there as well. Um, I think those would be the two places okay. that folks would go to. Yeah. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put some links there as well as some of the resources that we talked about here. But, um, yeah, I'm just hap- really 
stoked about what you're doing and um, glad to have connected with you on this and looking forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future. Oh, man. Craig, thank you for having me out. I love this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm an avid listener myself. Good. And so uh, thank you for what you're doing here. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Austin Helm. Or if you know him personally, you can just call him Austin. Um, if you'd like to listen to messages from Austin, you can go to his website, johnaustinhelm.com. You can also check out in the show notes some links to some of the resources that were mentioned in this episode, particularly Mike Erie's Vox podcast. Um, also a link to Fuller Theological Seminary, Logos Bible Software, as well as Accordance Bible Software. There is also a link to the notorious Jansport Right Pack Backpack, if you want to purchase one of those for yourself. Um, also, um, the website of Craig Greshel um, on books, leadership, podcast, um, his resources there that was mentioned. Also, just a resource as you are, if you are a teaching pastor, um, the 10 volume set of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, or TDNT, as we affectionately refer to it as an acronym in academic circles. Um, you can get a screaming deal on these babies, um, and there's a link to Amazon. I would recommend buying them used, actually. Um, you can get the 10-volume set for under $100, um, and it is a great resource. You could also pick it up on Logos or Accordance, um, although I don't think it's going to be uh, probably like $150. Anyhow, I'm going on and on. In any event, we would like to um, thank particularly the Pawn Shop Kings for um, giving their music to the beginning and end of this episode. Um, we'd also like to recommend to you um, to subscribe to the podcast or share the podcast. Um, as we said at the beginning of the episode, we just hit 2,600 downloads, and it's very encouraging. I would just encourage you, if there is somebody that you think can benefit from this pastor, student, or just somebody who wants to hear the inside of the creative process of what pastors do in their week, please share the podcast. It has been a real joy to do it and would love to um, see the, the listenership broaden. If you do have a question for me, um, email me at theteachingpastor at gmail.com. I'd love to start reading some of those questions on the air and addressing them. But um, until then, uh, we will catch you on the next episode of the Teaching Pastor Podcast. Fades away. I want to hear the good Lord say well.